Hey everybody, it's Paul Yeager. This is the MTOM Show podcast, a production of Iowa PBS and the Market to Market TV program. I usually wear a little bit of a collar shirt when I do these interviews. We're just talking. Sometimes our guests are in the middle of another job, and that's what our guest this week is. He's in his other job. Paul Thomas is a farmer uh, in North Dakota that we spoke with a couple of times in 2022. If you remember his spring crop, they were just about ready to roll, and it was really wet, delayed their crop. We're going to find out how things went. Spoiler alert, the rains shut off and really kind of put a damper on what could have been a great crop. Ended up pretty good, as Paul will tell us. Paul is in the middle of his other job, which is a state representative in the state of North Dakota, and this happens to be the year that they work. That's that legislature that works every other year. This is the season for him, so we got him on a committee. His work was done for the day, and we talked farming, but we also talked about what issues are in the North Dakota legislature of agricultural interest. So we get a little policy and a little uh, catch-up and a fun story about Paul as a fantasy football player. That's this installment of the MTOM Show podcast. Oh, Paul, you're going to throw off the uh, curve here with that tie. Um, there's a reason for it, though. You have a button. I just have a logo. You're, we didn't disclose this the last time. You're a legislator. I'm a legislator. I am uh, chairman of the House Ag Committee and in our legislative body. And that is in the state of North Dakota? Correct. State of North Dakota. How long have you been elected? Uh, This is my second term of, or second session, first term of serving in the North Dakota legislature. First first time being the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee. What's on the uh, House Agriculture Committee in North Dakota's legislature this year? You know, we've had a pretty full schedule so far. one of, one of the initiatives that I've been behind driving is we are trying to do our best to try and promote animal agriculture growth in North Dakota. We've seen a, a rapid decline in the numbers of dairies and swine and, and uh, poultry operations over the past decades. And one of the, a number, a number of factors have certainly led to that. Um, but one of those that, that we, that I strongly feel that is, Hurt, hurt our industry in North Dakota is the lack of the ability of of investment from corporation style business structures, and so we have a bill in this session that is looking to expand the ability for corporate investment into animal agriculture. Uh, it's limited to just 160 acres in size, and it limits it just to the you know animal agriculture facilities. Uh, so, so that's a, a priority of mine in this session. Um, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's been a long history in North Dakota of, of being opposed to, to that sort of structure. But some of the changes that, you know, that have occurred in agriculture, I think really warrant our need to look at it as it pertains to animal agriculture. We have um, two for sure soybean crush plants being built in our state. Uh, possibly a third that's going to be built, and and those those crushed plants are going to bring significant amounts of soybean meal in into our state um, and and have it right here, and so so the ability of that feed being here is, is certainly one of the main reasons we need to really move on this. 
So, okay, help me out. Um, it doesn't sound like it's a confinement bill. This sounds, when you say animal agriculture, that's what regular folks jump to. They just think it's all about animals and confinement. You're talking more business and development with animals. I, I just want to get a little bit of that clarification. Um, so, clarify. so it, no, this, this would be more specifically targeting towards whatever that larger operation is, you know, like you say, typically it's confinement. So whether it's a confined hog feeding operation, um, whether it's the modern dairy operations that, you know, are, are just what reality is of today's operations, the confined poultry operations. Yes. So it'd be for those sort of facilities. Okay. You, you said this, was this in the last session and didn't make it out uh, to uh, a vote no. or what? No, no, actually time. this is uh, it, it, it's been uh it's been different approaches have been you um, looked at over the past years to try and expand into the ability to do this. Um, the last time that was brought up was back in 2015. Um, so, so this is the first uh, attempt again to, to pass something. The scope, I believe, on, on, on our attempt here is, is quite tight and really, in my opinion, really targets the area where we need the corporate investment to really make these industries flourish in North Dakota. Do you get the sense that there's strong opposition, strong support? Too early to tell? Um, so we have uh, farm organizations in the state that are strongly in support of it, and there's a farm organization in the state that's strongly against it. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. That's like anything though, right? Yeah, if you don't it, have a bill. It absolutely that yes, it absolutely is. And so, so yeah, yeah, that that's a big issue that we're working on. We're also looking at a number of other animal agriculture um, bills um, pertain, and I shouldn't just say animal agriculture, but agriculture in general. I'm trying to, you know, make sure our zoning uh, laws that we have are, are both protective of county and township ability to control their local zoning ordinances, but also keeping in mind that we, we can't zone individual property rights away from the individuals that are trying to make a living out there in, in producing um, crops and, and animal agriculture. So we're looking at that. We have a, a number of commodity bills um, that you know seem to surface every session. Uh, and then probably the, the other big issue, which I is probably affecting a lot of other states, is discussion on foreign egg land ownership. Um, you know, that's certainly a hot topic, it seems, you know, across the country. So uh, looking at bills to do with that also in the Agriculture Committee. That's funny that you say that because that also was on my list once you, uh, once you opened the door there. Uh, there is, there's some, the chair of the, uh, the U.S. House of Representatives Agriculture Committee, Glenn Thompson, uh, said the day we're recording this, uh, he's a little hesitant to go all the way on restricting foreign ownership of land. There's another few members of his caucus that are, as he calls it, or at least as it's written around, they've been watching cable news. There's those who know who are buying land around you, Paul. You're a farmer. Who's buying the land around you? Well, it, the, for me specifically, the people buying the land around me are farmers. Um, farmers and ranchers. Um, probably the bigger concern in reality of what's happening in our state is, and in, in, in partly to me is, is even as concerning, if not more concerning, is we have some well-to-do individuals that 
have participated in some of our recreational opportunities on land, um, yeah, farmland, um, whether that's, you know, you're camping or, or whatever that may be, um, but more likely hunting. And, and they get a taste of North Dakota's uh, fall environment here and fall in love with it. They fall in love with the beauty here. And they have the wherewithal to buy a quarter or two of land, which in itself is not necessarily a terrible thing. But as we look at it from a state, when they do that, and, and the only use of that land from that point forward is their recreational or hunting opportunities, we're our, our local communities and our state are both losing out from the economic impact that that land would be having by producing a crop or producing livestock. And, and that, that to me is really equally as concerning that uh, we start losing agricultural land and idling it from that perspective. Um, one of the, in North Dakota, one of the things as it pertains to foreign land ownership that kind of drove this was the potential of the Fufang uh, corn wet milling plant just outside of Grand Forks that really um, kind of drove a lot of interest. And that just that story, I, I think, just had a, a resolution or a development in the last couple of days, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, last week the uh, the um, the federal government basically um, declared that there was significant um, concerns with that proposal uh, to our nation's security. And, uh, you know, so essentially um, stop that project from moving forward. Uh, there is a survey being done right now, is my understanding, and it'll be released uh, early summer. I think it's mostly Iowa related, and I don't know if it's Midwest, but it is going to look at ownership of land. Do you know of anything being done by anybody in your state that's looking at studying who is actually, I mean, and what percentage owns farmland in the state and and testimonies that we've heard before the committee i don't think that's really really clear and there is a you know an a fsa reporting form for foreign egg land ownership um in our state the the information we were able to gather there was very little owned um it was more so um leased by governments uh, foreign governments and and that particularly uh, pointed to wind towers, um, a lot of that. Um, there's certainly in our state, there's maybe a little bit more from being right next to Canada. You start seeing some of that, uh, you know, just back and forth that happens just by living next to the border, you know, and but vice versa. There's, you know, certainly United States farmers that, you know, are North Dakota farmers that own land, you know, on the other side of the border as well. So. Well, yeah, yeah. Foreign ownership is, uh, I think, what a lot of folks instantly jump to is China or Brazil or something like that. But yeah. Canada is the foreign owner in some of the yeah. land, which is almost your backyard in some counties of your state. So that takes a whole different connotation. Uh, what about NFL football players? So that's what we just had in Iowa here a I couple of months that. ago. Uh, yeah. Came in and bought, and I, the way I'm reading, I'm guessing, knowing where that land is, at least speculative. That could be a hunting situation. It's similar to what you yeah. were talking about. Right. And, you know, it's it's a difficult, more difficult. I mean, we have to keep in mind, you know, in those situations. And, and as I alluded to, you know, certainly you lose the economic activity. But we also have to be very mindful in this country of private property rights. And that, that individual has that right to sell that piece of land to that 
NFL football player if they so choose. And if that NFL football player chooses to keep it for hunting, you know, we, we, we do have to be very respectful and cognizant of those private property rights. Which is what I'm kind of reading between the lines of what uh, Representative Thompson on the U.S. level is also pointing out that there is a faction that says, yes, property rights, and we can't dictate who owns what. There's certain legislative bounds that that we need to stay within. Uh, Speaking of football, um, are you a part of this traveling trophy in fantasy football that's the bipartisan effort in the North Dakota legislature. This is a hot story I just saw um, right while I was waiting to talk to you, Paul. I don't know if you're trying to rub salt in the wounds or oh, what. Oh, you were in I it. Didn't even, I didn't even make the top eight to make the playoffs. Oh. So I uh, I was uh, participatory the last couple of years, and I failed miserably with my team to uh, have any any bit of chance at getting the trophy. So how many are in this in this event? Uh, 12 fun? of us. There's 12, 12 of us. Yeah. Okay. So bottom four, does that mean you're going to get relegated? <laughs> uh, there, there will definitely be some penalty for that. Absolutely. But you didn't finish last, did you? Well, technically I did not finish last, but the bottom four finished last. So Okay. 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 Yeah. Because, you know, in soccer, it's always the, you know, and we think we talk about it in American sports. What if we had relegation? So, but you don't think you're getting relegated to... South Dakota or something like that. It would never be something that bad. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's, is it truly bipartisan? Anna, it, it, truly is, it truly is. We have both uh, Democrats and Republicans and a couple members of the executive branch as well on the team. The uh, All things being known, the couple of members of the executive branch are former legislative branch uh, legislators that moved to the executive branch and uh, we uh, decided they were well and good enough to keep them still on. Uh, <laughs> uh, in practice. Iowa, there was always a, a long history of farmer legislators. Uh, how many, what's the percentage in North Dakota that is that way still today? Say that again. I how many, that. oh, sorry. How many uh, legislators in North Dakota are still farmers? Oh, boy, I, I don't even know the exact percent of that. I'm So in the... In the North Dakota House, we have 94 members in the House of Representatives. I, I would guess maybe 10 to 15 percent of us are, you know, either active farmers or fairly recently retired farmers. So, relatively small percentage. Okay, uh, your farm. That's the whole reason we were going to talk. And yeah. uh, thank you for Im- indulging me on the legislative speak. And uh, since the way this schedule worked out, how did things go? Maybe you were just too busy farming in the fall to focus on football. Yeah, well, the the fall actually harvest season went really smoothly. We we at our particular farm late July the rain shut off, and we really never had any precip in the fall at all. So it certainly expedited the speed of harvest. Um, small grains and the early crops were average to above average. Uh, we you know we went in extremely wet. Uh, well you know, with the snowstorm as we talked and uh, we had sufficient moisture to get the small grains there. But unfortunately for our farm, not getting any of the August rains um, really kind of hurt our corn and soybean. Um, My oldest son that just returned home to farm that rented a couple hundred acres this year was fortunate and caught one extra rain and had a, you know, above average soybean crop and uh, average corn crop. 
and all of our land all around the same area, you know, that just didn't catch that one shower was average to below average. So it was right on the cusp. Um, our crop was of, you know, being really quite good um, with the price and the way everything turned out. I mean, it was certainly a very good year for, for our region, but uh, certainly could have used a couple more rains. Which is, I won't say fun to say, ironic, given the way the spring it was. was for you. Yeah. It absolutely was. You know, we, we came into that spring being worried about, you know, a terrible drought. Um, and then we got that tremendous snowfall of four feet of snow there. And that without that, you know, we would have probably had a disaster. So, you know, that was the blessing in disguise. And, you know, even from the ranching community, so many of the cow calf producers that lost calves um, at the end, you know, we're thankful that that storm actually happened because we had tremendous hay production, grass glasses were plentiful for the pastures. But, uh, you know, coming into the fall, we we got dry. Um, we did get some really late fall moisture. And then we've had probably average to a little above average snowfall. So um, going into next spring in, in our region, we're going to be hoping for some good spring rains, but we're, we're probably in a little better condition than we were last year. Do you have confidence in one crop over another uh, ahead in 23 as you sit here in, in early February? So on our farm, we're, we're probably going to increase our corn acres a little bit. We're going to be a little less. We're a little high on soybean acres as nor than what we normally would be. Uh, we'll have a, you know, maybe a more normal soybean acreage mix. Um, we're going to, our small grains will probably equally split between wheat, barley, and oats. Uh, and then we'll have yellow pea production again. And uh, some of those soybean acres are probably going to be replaced with, um, kennel bean production, which we didn't do last year, um, which we typically do do some acres of kennel beans. Is that a rotation thing or is that a marketing thing? It's, it's a marketing thing mainly. Uh, kennel beans, typically we can usually capture more income, but they're in, in our region, they're a little more risky, um, just growing them and certainly a little more management to growing kennel beans and soybeans. And I, I'm, I'm on your wheat, I forget, do you, you do a little bit of winter, but mostly spring wheat? Uh, we have done winter in the past, but it's been quite a long time. Our, our wheat is almost all spring wheat. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Uh, around you, though, or in the state, do you know of many with winter, and do they feel good about the way it's sitting under snow and enough moisture? We have very few winter wheat acres in North Dakota. Yeah. I, I think it's a couple hundred, few hundred thousand every year but it's, it's not very significant crop. Um, statewide, uh, there's a significant snow cover. So I, I think anybody that would have fall crop seeded would be in very good shape. And when you say significant snow cover in the state of North Dakota, what does that mean? That To me, that means a foot of snow on the ground. To you, is that four feet? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it wouldn't be quite four feet, but um, so Bismarck is state capital where we're at and they, they have received more, and by December, they had received more than their average yearly snowfall, you know, already in December. January has been quite arid. Um, there hasn't been much snowfall in North Dakota in January. But uh, I would say most of the state is close to their normal yearly total. So, you know, any moisture we get in March and April t typically is the wetter snow, you know, the snow that, you know, makes more of an impact. So mm -hmm. I yeah, I mean, land cover, yeah, maybe there's a foot out there to two feet, you know, across the landscape. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, that's the we have that. In fact, we just had the discussion on the show a couple of weeks ago. Snow doesn't break drought. It doesn't hurt, but it doesn't necessarily help you as much. So as you uh, look at weather and look towards spring, um, you mentioned catching a rain, catching a snow. Are you sitting up? Uh, you know, I look at drought monitors. North Dakota is still one of those states, maybe to the west of you, still a little bit of an issue, dry conditions. Is that right? Certainly. And, and quite honestly, that's what we get used to living with. Um, you know, it's, it, it's kind of a saying that, you know, if you want the weather to change in North Dakota, just wait till tomorrow and you're only one week away from a drought. Um, it, you know, our, our, our climate and, and our water holding capacity of our land is probably a little less than, you know, what a lot of your viewers are, are accustomed to and certainly what the Eastern part of our state is. So, we, we every year we rely on those timely rains from April through August. What about your uh, livestock friends? How are they uh, handling things right now? We just had a big report last week about cattle and just not as many, not much inventory out there. But, you know, what's are people expanding up there? Yeah, I think the cattle industry in North Dakota, you know, which is predominantly cow calf industry is is fairly optimistic you know we had two years ago we had that terrible drought and there was a lot of uh, you know animals sold and herds decreased in size last year we saw sufficient grass production and good hay production where people i think kept a lot of heifers back um, and to try and rebuild their herds i don't think they necessarily were real aggressive buying new animals but you know just retaining some of those and so i would say you know the beef industry in our state is really you know, cautiously optimistic about what next year holds. So any, okay. Optimistic. You'll take that, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's some years uh, where yeah. you're pessimistic. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's now put your legislative hat back on with what you just said about a status report of agriculture in the state. What type of assistance, what type of, uh, you mentioned one program already, but are, are there things legislators need to look at to assist the farmer of North Dakota? Um, so we, We've, we're focusing on a few things. Um, one is infrastructure. Uh, our state's um, bridge infrastructure is significantly eroded, and that county and township bridge infrastructure all falls on the backs of local property taxpayers. Our, our state has done very well in the past biennium with the volume of oil that we've pumped out and the price being you know, significantly higher than projected um, has increased our budget revenues or our, our, our general fund revenues and our uh, opportunity to participate, hopefully back with the local subs in taking care of some of those long-term legacy type projects, um, I think would be a, a, well, it's certainly a priority of mine that I hope to see our legislature fund uh, to help out there. Um, we have a, a infrastructure fund that we are looking to put uh some money into that would assist local political subdivisions, whether it's a county or township or city, when value-added egg projects or animal egg projects are located in there, so that if a road needs to be rebuilt or water or natural gas lines or three-phase power need to be moved there, that the state is saying, hey, we, we know that these will make significant differences in our state's economy and we're willing to participate with the local economy or the local subdivisions. And, and helping build that infrastructure there that's necessary 
for these value-added projects or for these animal egg projects. So, so those would be a couple of the highlights, I think, that we're really looking to do. There's some other proposals out there, um, whether they come to fruition or not, is some assistance for a fertilizer plant um, mm. that would manufacture um, most likely anhydrous ammonia. Um, with our state's um, overabundance of uh, flaring that's happening with the natural gas and the oil wells, trying to find, you know, beneficial uses that we can do with that, that we can still keep our oil fields um, producing the same amount of oil. And and from a rural perspective, in the last November uh, special election that we had, a, a body had appropriated $150 million to try and construct a natural gas pipeline across the northern tier of North Dakota that, that never came to fruition. And so the body is looking at ways to partner with private industry to see how we can try and move that project forward. Because as we see the rural communities across the northern part of our state, without the access to the larger quantities of natural gas has certainly inhibited their ability to attract manufacturing and some of those industries that are really necessary for communities to grow. And dealing with what landowners want on their land uh, by means that they want and not have a government come in and take if have to. Eminent domain is always a discussion. I was, uh, you know, on a carbon pipeline discussion, and I know that would go over parts of either Minnesota or South Dakota on its way to you. Uh, I'm sure you're very aware of some of those projects that, that come along from other states that might end up in your area at some point. Yeah, there's, there's significant discussions in, in the legislative body um, this session concerning the, the, um, the carbon sequestration pipeline. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. The, uh, the, the, the topics are never ending for, <laughs> no, for a lawmaker not. to deal with. Uh, if you had to put uh, 2022's crop on the Thomas farm into a category, which category would you put it as a whole? Um, yield wise, I would say average to so slightly above average from a overall economic profitability. Um, one of the best still have yep. corn to sell. I do. Good. I do still have corn to sell. Yes. All right. You're, um, you are, you I, did store, but not ignore. Uh, I, I think I've done pretty well so far. I, I've had timely sales. Um, you know, the market really hasn't made significant moves in, in since harvest. So, uh, we've been selling gradually into it. I don't have a significant amount of corn left. Uh, the beans are all moved. Uh, we do have a little bit of spring wheat to market as well, but, uh, but we're, we're getting down there now and, that, uh, and we've started a uh, new crop. Um, uh, we started that last fall already okay. started selling some of the new crop. So anything into 24 yet? You want to haven't those? done anything 24 yeah. yet? No. We haven't had a question like that in a couple of months, so I'm guessing that little momentum has stopped. So, Yeah. Uh, so more time to market your grain and less time to look at the waiver wire to put on your fantasy football team. Got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, Paul. Thank you so much for the time. Enjoy the legislative session and, uh, and the crop year to come here in 2023. Yeah, great visiting with you. Great catching up uh, again, and thank you. My thanks to Paul Thomas. Best to him in 2023 in the farm there in North Dakota. If you have any feedback for this podcast, send it at market-to-market at iowapbs.org. New episodes come out each and every Tuesday. 
We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching or listening, or for those that read, see you later.